To our participating um, and just encourage the congregation, let's be uh, praying that Jesus would be gathering uh, the elect of God, as we're going to see this morning, uh, through uh, the gospel proclamation. Let's uh, turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6, as uh, we are uh, in a, in the, con- the context here is a, a, a vision where John uh, sees Jesus opening the seals um, and that goes to the previous vision where um, there was a scroll in the hand of the one who sat on the throne and, and sealed with seven seals and no one could open it. That scroll contains the purposes of God. And Jesus steps forward as the only one who is able to open that scroll. Let's uh, then pick it up uh, in chapter 6, verse 12. We uh, looked last week at uh, the first five seals. This morning we come uh, to the, uh, the six. When he had opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who was seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the, of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, They fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these 
clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's ask his blessing on his word. Lord Jesus, you promised the Spirit to give us the ability to see and hear and understand. And so we uh, ask now for that Spirit to do his beautiful work, that we would see Jesus in his glory and all that is ours in him, and that, Lord Jesus, you would carry out your saving purposes right here in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to imagine that uh, someone came to you uh, this coming week uh, with some secret information concerning the the stock market. Uh, Maybe he's um, found out that a certain company is coming out with a revolutionary new product and um, their their stock is going to skyrocket and um, you need to get in on it now. Or conversely, maybe he he, uh, has secret inside information that the whole thing is going to collapse Uh, in August 2019. And so uh, you need to get out now because everything that you have in the stock market is going to be lost in in, uh, two months. Now, of course, people are saying stuff like this all the time and they're selling newsletters and magazines and and podcasts that you can sign up for and for, um, you know, $10.99 a month, you too can have the inside scoop. But what if if this person that was talking to you actually knew what if um, what he told you was simply incontrovertibly true and, and what he said was going to happen? Would you act? And it all depends on whether or not you believed, actually believed what he said. You might think it's, it's interesting, but you've heard these sorts of things before and, and uh, nothing's ever really come of it. Um, and, and, and so many people, maybe even most people, would, would be, you know, mildly skeptical and just play it safe, assume that things will go on basically the way that it's always gone on and, and, and you wouldn't do anything. Some of you would do something. And however, uh, whatever choice you made, because what that person told you actually was true and actually was going to happen, the choice that you made would have a direct, um, irrefutable result on your financial status. You will, in two months' time, either be incredibly rich or completely broke. You'll lose everything. And it all hinges on the choice that you make What you decide to do with the information that you were given. Well, it's the same with spiritual things. Uh, We have in the Bible, and particularly in the book of Revelation, we have uh, the inside scoop concerning the history of the world. Jesus is telling us in Revelation what's going to happen. 
And it really will happen, and we know that it will really happen because Jesus isn't just prophesying what's going to happen. He's telling us what he's going to do. The one who's telling us what is going to happen is the same one who's going to make it happen. And what you do with this information will have eternal ramifications. What you do with this information will either bring you infinite bliss or, or eternal misery and terror. Because what Jesus says is actually true. This is what's going to happen. As I said, we, uh, our text this morning takes place in the context of uh, John's vision. Jesus shows John um, the glory of Christ on the throne as, as Jesus begins opening the seven seals that, contain, that, that seal the scroll of God. The scroll of God are, are, are God's purposes for human history, particularly to judge what is evil and to, uh, and to save his elect. And um, as Jesus begins opening, uh, breaking open these seals, we have the first four seals, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and they are sent with authority from Jesus to bring uh, famine and disaster and war, uh, death on the world. And we, and we noted that that's what's happening in our world today. Without, those are the things that we see, and they're happening by the authority of God. Uh, and then we have the fifth seal, which gives us a vision of the saints in heaven, the martyrs who've been uh, killed for the, the sake of Christ, and, and they're asking how long before uh, we get to the end, how long before um, our blood is avenged. And they're, they're told, uh, wait a little while longer until the full number of the martyrs has been brought in. God is, is still at work in human history. He still has purposes to fulfill. He still has elect children to bring in. And the, the history of the world exists for those ends. And as soon as God's purpose for human history has concluded, the, when, when the last elect child is brought in, the, the world will end. It will have no more usefulness in the plans and purposes of God. It's going to end. It's not going to end a minute before and not a minute after, but it will end. This world will not go on as it always has. There is a point in time that God knows and has determined when it's all done. And that's the point of seal number six. It's an insight into the end of the world. We have in, in chapter 6, verse 12 through 17, first of all, uh, a preview of that last day. Again, in symbolic language and images. In verse 12 through 14, we're told about this great earthquake that, is, uh, that shatters all of creation. Uh, the people of Asia Minor, who are the primary, the first recipients of, of this letter, uh, they were very well acquainted with earthquakes. It was the number one disaster, that in volcanoes, mountains erupting. Um, that, was, that was the thing that destroyed cities and killed people. So they're, they, they're familiar with earthquakes. But this earthquake isn't just going to decimate cities. It's going to destroy. Um, creation itself is going to crumble, and even the skies are going to fall. The sun will be blackened. It, it'll go out. Uh, the moon will become like blood. The stars will fall to the earth like figs falling to the ground in a gale. Now, again, this is figurative. Um, what it's telling us is that the, 
This is the end of time. The sun, moon, and stars were the markers of time. Days, months, seasons are marked by sun, moon, and stars. And when these go out, we're at the end of human history. We're at the end of time. This is the threshold of eternity. And the created world begins to disintegrate. That's sort of the vision we have. Maybe if you saw the movie Inception, uh, where uh, the imagined city that exists in the mind of, Di- of uh, DiCaprio uh, begins to crumble and disintegrate. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful scene. And, and, and the writer, John, seems to tell us that's the sense of, of what's happening as mountains are removed, islands flee away, as Jesus in his glory descends. Uh, something's going to happen to earth. We're not told exactly, but, the, but there's going to be a purging, cleansing. Peter talks about a consuming fire. John talks about this devastating uh, earthquake where, where everything is shaken. Creation is undone. Because Jesus, the creator, now in all of his glory, in all of his righteousness and might, appears to judge the world. And the experience will be utterly, absolutely terrifying for the citizens of this world. If you've ever been in an earthquake, it's a very unnerving experience as as, uh, the ground beneath you starts to move. What 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 do you run to? What do you hold to when terra firma isn't firma? Right? When it's when it's shaking and rolling, and um, it's, it's, it's very unnerving. Now, combine that with the sky being ripped open and Jesus in all of his glory and surrounded by his holy angels descends. What will people experience at that moment? Well, we're told in verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? On that day, all social distinctions will vanish. Rock stars and and, uh, famous athletes And uh, heads of state and Wall Street titans are going to be reduced um, and find themselves like every other person in the world to the, the lowest of the low, fleeing from the wrath of Jesus. It's the wrath of the Lamb that has terrified them as Jesus comes in all of his glory. In an earthquake, the natural instinct is to escape from things that can fall on you. If you're in a building, then the instinct is to get outside. Notice here, the instinct in this earthquake is to run into caves and to run towards the falling rocks. Now, what in the world would induce people to flee to the mountain as it crumbles, to flee into the cave as the earthquake is shaking everything. Why would you want to be crushed by falling rocks? Because death is preferable in their minds than to stand and face the wrath of King Jesus. But death will not be able to hide them. Uh, People have a sense that uh, once they die, it's done, it's over. No more accountability. That's why so many people take their life. It, 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 when, they're, when they're caught. So, so Hitler takes his life. 
Uh, that way he escapes accountability for the incredible suffering he's brought on the world. Well, no, not at all. Death is no hiding place. Not from the wrath of the Lamb. The dead will be raised and stand in the judgment day. And so the, Jesus wants us to just get a sense of what it's going to be like on that day. This is going to happen. And no amount of wealth or position or religion or moral principles or good intentions, there will be no protection for a guilty soul on that day. Not even death will be able to hide you. Jesus wants us to know. And there's a question that arises out of this tear. The question is, who can stand, who can face the awesome, overwhelming, terrifying face of Jesus as he comes in his justice and righteousness, when the sky is falling and the mountains are being removed? Who can stand on that day, the great day of wrath? It might be a question that you've uh, asked yourself. I hope you've asked yourself this. Can I stand on that day? I mean, when the sky actually is rolled back, Jesus said he's going he's gonna to ascend on the clouds of heaven, and, and King Jesus now appears, and every eye sees him. How are you going to respond? Will it be with joy? Will it be rushing towards him? Or will it be with sheer terror trying to run away? If you have a sense of yourself as a sinner, you, I can't imagine that you don't have part of you that there's an instinctive, well, how could I as a sinner stand in front of holy, holy, holy justice and righteousness? But you see, the, in direct response to that challenge and that question, there's this, there's this wonderful interlude in the storyline. We've been going through the breaking of the seals, and, and now we've... We've come to number six, and, and, and the, the question is asked, well, who can stand? Who, who possibly can stand in the presence of a holy, judging, mighty God? And, and Jesus, in a sense, interrupts the program with a special announcement, because what we have in chapter seven is an interlude. This is not an opening of a seal. This is, this is a, um, an interruption because Jesus wants his church, he wants his bride to, to hear something and to see something specific. He wants his church, in the context of that day of judgment, to see the sovereign sealing acts of God on their behalf. And that's chapter 7, the sealing of the saints. In stark contrast to the experience of those who are lost, Jesus speaks a message of Security and comfort and peace to those who belong to him. He wants us to hear it and to get this. So, so John says, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Again, John knows there's not four corners. Four stands for the number of earth. And this means they're standing for the earth, holding back the, the, the winds of the earth that no wind might blow. And, and the, you, you have a sense of these horsemen ready to move in final judgment. To bring, all these, these, to bring all this destruction on the world. And, and, but before they can go, an angel comes from the east, from the rising sun, and says, wait. Don't go yet. Do not harm the earth or the sea until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Before God judges, 
He rescues. You see this in the Old Testament, for instance, when, when Jericho was going to be destroyed. Before, before judgment falls on Jericho, Rahab is rescued out. Before judgment falls on Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his family are rescued and brought out. God is a saving God, though he is also a judging God. But Jesus wants us to know that, that God knows those who are his, and an angel is sent to, to, uh, to, to command the others, the, the angels of destruction, to hold back the judgment because there's something that God must first do, and that is to seal all those who belong to him, to, to seal them on their foreheads. Well, what is, what's the seal? If you have your Bible, just quickly go to Revelation 14, just a few pages over, and we're told exactly what the seal is. Revelation 14. Verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. In other words, God writes the name of Jesus, and he writes his own name on the forehead. Now, again, this is figurative, not literal, but... but the, those who belong to Christ by the electing purpose of God, Jesus puts his name on them, signifying that they belong to him. They're his own possession. But not only do they belong to him, they are sovereignly protected by him. Dennis Johnson, in his, uh, in his uh, commentary, Triumph of the Lamb, just points out that we have a satanic imitation of this in uh, Revelation 13, where we read about the mark of the beast. And the mark of the beast is also put on the foreheads. But the mark of the beast, while it denotes um, ownership, they belong to the beast, there's no comfort of sovereign protecting power. They're going to be destroyed by the beast as well, or by the power of God as he condemns the beast. This seal of God both marks us as belonging to God and is the, the promise of God's sovereign protective power. Those who are sealed will not be lost because they cannot be lost. They're sheltered by the power of God, the God who brings judgment. You have a wonderful example of this sealing and marking in, in the Old Testament again in the Passover. God is going to bring judgment, but before he brings judgment, he rescues. And he tells his people, take a lamb and sacrifice the lamb. And then take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorpost. And when the angel of death passes over the, the households of Egypt, when he sees the blood of the sacrifice, he will pass over. And you will not experience the judgment. The firstborn in Egypt, uh, of, uh, of Egypt who had the, that, that seal on the doorpost were perfectly safe in the storm of God's judgment. That's exactly um, the idea here. The, the blood, Jesus wants his church to know, the blood that he shed for us seals us as uh, the possession of Christ and seals us with the protection of God, of Christ. Um, 
Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And so Jesus tells this church, no matter what judgments God might bring on the earth, and no matter what temporary suffering we will experience in that, there's no harm in it. There's no wrath in it. No judgment in it. Friends, uh, we live, it may be about the most peaceable time that the church has ever experienced. Uh, we here, right here in West Michigan. It doesn't really get better than this in, on this earth. And yet, think of the, the suffering that we experience. But we should, we should sense that. God doesn't promise it's always going to be this way. We have brothers and sisters around the world, millions of them, who are are suffering serious, real persecution. But Jesus wants you to know that no matter what he asks you to endure, no matter what trials, no matter what suffering, he has claimed you, sealed you. There's now no condemnation for those who are in him. There's safety, there's security because of the sovereign act of God. If there is a God, he is this God who seals his own. Now, John then also tells us about the number. He gives us in, the, in, in um, chapter 7 here, he tells us about the 144,000. There's all sorts of ink spilled over this. The Jehovah Witnesses uh, believe that is a literal number. Um, it cannot possibly be a literal number because immediately after it, John says, I saw a great multitude that no one can number. And it, the, the 144,000 stand for the church. Uh, it is the number 12 times 12 times 1,000. The Old Testament church, 12. The New Testament church, the 12, the 12 apostles, times 1,000, the number of magnitude. Jesus wants us to realize that he is doing a great work. As he is faithfully, faithful to his promises to Abraham, he is gathering a true Israel. Paul will say in in the book of Galatians that those who believe, those who have the faith of Abraham, are the children of Abraham and the true Israel of God. (coughs) Excuse me. Let me just... Thank you. And so uh, John wants us to see this magnificent saving work of God is not just for individuals, but there is a great multitude. Verse 9, behold, a great multitude no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. I want you to notice the posture So he sees the elect of God, the church of Jesus, from all times and all nations. And notice what they're doing. They're standing. They're standing. Exactly what the world had wondered. Who could possibly stand? It's a rhetorical question. No one could stand. No normal, no no person, no no mere human can stand in the presence of, of this mighty, holy God. And yet Jesus says, oh, yes, They can. Who can stand? These can stand. Those who are claimed by him, known by him, protected by him. Not only do they stand, they sing. They're not running in fear. They are rejoicing. 
in the presence of God and in this glorious, thunderous unison, notice with one voice, all these people from all these nations and languages with one voice, they cry out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, it's just such a simple and yet such an essential point. How can these people stand? Are they not sinners? Of course they're sinners. There's no one who does good. No, not even one. Well, how can these people then not run in terror when the judge appears? And the answer is because the judge has saved them. Being saved is not a fundamentalist term. Right, I'm, I'm, uh, for those of you who remember Jimmy Carter, born, being, born again, right, being saved, it was sort of lampooned a little bit. It's still lampooned. A being saved just, it sounds really sort of simple, a little bit backward. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. The only way possible you can stand and I can stand is if we can say salvation belongs to God. My salvation belongs to God. I was saved from the, the condemnation I absolutely deserve. I was saved by an act of God that I did not deserve. As Jesus, the very Son of God, took my guilt on that cross and died my death to give me his life so that when he comes again, I know that I'm safe because the judge loved me and gave his life for me. And that's the truth that makes all the difference in the world and for all eternity. That's the truth that undergirds any perseverance and peace and joy of God's people here on earth. Have you been saved? Remember, Jesus is giving this vision to John and Jesus tells John, remember what he says? Write this down. Write it down. Why? Because this has got to get disseminated uh, out to the churches. People need to hear this. People need to know this. My people need to receive this message from me, King Jesus. He wants us to know this. Jesus wants us to know that he, he right now is in heaven with absolute sovereignty, and he is exercising all that sovereignty for the sake of his people. He wants you to have that rock-solid conviction about your eternal security in the shelter of his mighty arms so that when trials come and when judgments fall upon the world, you do not have to be afraid. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb who purchased you by his own sacrifice. That's their posture. Notice their identity. They have suffered and conquered, right? These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. The elder says, John, who are these? And John says, you know. How, what, how, did these, how did these people get here? Well, they got there through the great tribulation. In other words, they experienced it, but were not crushed by it. They experienced it and triumphed through it. Uh, the, the idea that the church is going to be raptured out before things get really, gets really tough, it's a nice idea. It's just not biblical. Uh, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Anyone who, who professes the name of Jesus Christ will be persecuted, but, but we will not be crushed by it. 
Dennis Johnson writes, the innumerable assembly of the nations shows the victorious church in heaven emerging triumphant from tribulation, not through a painless rapture, but through a faithful death. They love not their own lives even unto death. They loved Jesus. They loved Jesus. Why did they love Jesus? Because they washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And it made them white. You see, the the secret is no secret at all. It's believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ means to believe on Jesus Christ as the one who who only can wash us clean. So these are people who've cast themselves as needy sinners, not basically good people who want want God to be in good terms with God, but as actually guilty, stained, needy people, and they're fleeing to the atoning sacrifice of Christ. These are people who confess without pretense that their robes are stained by sin and they cannot make them clean by their own attempts. They, they confess that there is nothing, right? Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. These are people who, as sinners, believed the gospel, the good news that God has made a way in Christ for sinners, guilty, vile, helpless, we, spotless lamb of God, was he. Full atonement. Hallelujah, what a savior. There really is, friends, a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. They washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Have you? Have you? Because if you have, then let's close with the joy that Jesus promises you. Verse 15, 16, 17 deal with presence, provision, and peace. Presence, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Can you imagine being in the, in the, the very presence of God? He's omnipresent, I know. He's present with us today, I know. But there's going to be an experience of the presence of God then that nothing can compare here. And there's provision. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, free from all lack, all want, all suffering. Peace for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Okay, just, it, it is hard to even describe the, the contrast between the perishing and the redeemed. The the inestimable terror of those who face Christ without having washed their robes and the indescribable peace of those who, who, who run to worship and greet Christ when he comes. And, and friend, every single one of us is going to be in one of those two groups. There's not another option. On that last day, you will be in this group or this group. Which will it be? And it, it all depends on what you do in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I just, I just want to, to say to those of you this morning who are not converted, or at least you do not have the assurance that you're converted, please hear Jesus. He's, he's speaking this because he cares for you. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Jesus is announcing that the end of the world is going to come. He knows because he's going to bring it. And you are going to experience the reality of Jesus. Death will not be able to protect you. But God the Father has made a way in Christ for you to stand on that day. You, if, if, if you receive, you see, it's, it's, it's believing and receiving the gospel as a sinner and, and, and taking faith that because God has sent his son into this world to live the obedient life you could never live and to die bearing your guilt and shame and sin and to robe you then with his righteousness received as a gift by faith. It, it's, it's so incredibly simple. And you think, surely there must be something more to do. No, no, no. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And being saved, friend, is the difference for your eternity. If you've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in that way as a needy sinner, uh, I, I, I beg you to do it today. With all seriousness. Jesus is not telling stories. Jesus is inviting you to be saved. To the church. Jesus loves you. He's given us this vision for our comfort. We're going to experience, friends, suffering in, in many ways. And we have already. As, uh, one of the benefits of being in the church for a long time is you just get to see the faithfulness of God. We've, we've had 16-year-old girl hit and killed, suddenly taken, beautiful, full of life. And Gabby went home to be with the Lord. We've had young men in their prime. Brett Wilson. And in an afternoon accident at work, he's gone and leaves a, a wife nine months pregnant. We've had, we've had um, children desperately sick. We've had divorces. We've had uh, tragedies of all sorts. Young mothers uh, taken away from their families when their families needed them. And yet, in all of it, God's been faithful. Uh, I've not seen people lose their faith in the, in the midst of incredible heartache and tragedy. And you can talk to them today. And they'll tell you the story, and it'll still be with tears in their eyes, but, but they haven't lost their faith. Jesus has held them. He's kept them. And he's going to continue to do that. We have brothers and sisters around the world experience devastating persecution, but they haven't lost their faith. They profess the name of Jesus Christ. Well, how is that possible? How can we stand? Well, we can stand this way, by holding on to what Jesus tells us is true. So when, when professing the name of Jesus Christ costs you your job, and when it maybe costs you your, your home and your possessions, your, your, your family and possessions, and maybe your life, are you going to be able to stand on that day? And, 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 and when I ask myself that question, I say, in my strength, absolutely not a chance. But I will not stand in my strength. 
I'll stand by the strength and the power of God. The God who rescued me and rescued you from the great trial of judgment promises to keep you in all the trials of life. Jesus wants you to know that you belong to him and nothing can separate you from his love. Not nakedness, not famine, not danger, not sword, nothing. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I think one of the most powerful illustrations of that is uh, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. If you haven't read that in a while, I encourage you to do it again. Uh, Betsy, her older sister, was about my age when she went into the concentration camp with Corey at Ravensbrook. And uh, Betsy, of course, would not make it out alive, at least not physically. Uh, But it's such a fantastic story of of, uh, what faith in God will do and what the preserving power and hand of God will do. They managed to hide a small Bible and keep it with them. And um, and if you remember the story, when they got into the into the building where they were to stay, it was utterly flea ridden, fleas everywhere. And and Betsy had this thing that they were that they were supposed to give thanks in everything because that's what the Bible says. And and so uh, Corey Ten Boom, I says I cannot give thanks for the fleas. Um, and yet Betsy made her give thank, thank God for the fleas. And then they found out that the, it's the fleas that kept the German guards out of the building. So every night they could gather around a little candle and they could open the Bible and have a Bible study and read and listen to what Corey says. She says, I would look around as Betsy read, watching the light leap from face to face, more than conquerors. It was not a wish, it was a fact. We knew it. We experienced it minute by minute. Poor, hated, hungry we are more than conquerors. Not we shall be, we are. Life in Ravensbrook took place on two separate levels, mutually impossible. One, the observable external life grew every day more horrible. The other, the life we lived with God grew daily better, truth upon truth, glory upon glory. Friends, we get to live life in God and life with God. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. And in the world to come, Jesus tells you this morning that he himself will wipe away every tear from your eyes and lead you into everlasting peace and joy. That's the promise. Let's believe it. Amen. Oh, God in heaven, these are magnificent, eternal things, beautiful, glorious, weighty things. And we, we thank you, Jesus, for speaking to us these truths. We want to live as conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray, Lord, that you would increase our faith. Help us, Lord, to increasingly live in the light of the truth that you've spoken here. And that it changes the way we think about our trials and troubles and sufferings and what we're afraid of. I pray, Lord, that you would increase our faith. I pray for those who are not yet in Christ today that, Lord, they would just be face to face with a sober reality that a day of judgment is coming and they will stand there before Jesus Christ. And if they are not, have not washed their robes, In his blood, if they've not trusted in his saving sacrifice, they will be lost forever. And Jesus, I pray that today you would give the grace to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And Lord, I pray you'd give us the joy as the church to share share that message with a lost and dying world. Come, believe, 
Trust in Jesus and be saved. So, Lord, thank you for speaking to us this morning. May our lives, Lord, increasingly show that we've heard and we believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond together singing, Day of Judgment, Day of Wonders, Hark the Trumpet's Awful Sound. Let's stand together and sing.